0: So, uh, two of my favorite people are going to be speaking today. One of them is my mentor. One of them is my good, good, good friend for about thirty-five years. Uh, what are you guys talking about today? The Rapture. The rapture. Has anyone heard of that? Yep. One or two. So I might have five or six hundred questions. Did you want me to put it like on a sheet of paper and slip under the door, and email? Like, how did, you guys might clear a couple of things up for me. All right, cool. All right, so we're going to bring up Pastor Larry the Lion. And Pastor RJ is in transit. He's working on some pretty important secrets, though. Shh, don't tell anyone. He is supposed to be preaching with me. <laughs> I'll do it. I... But I'm wondering if perhaps, is it possible that he's been raptured? Uh, we're in trouble because like, we all missed something. <laughs> yeah. So, but while I'm hoping that he joins me... No, no rapture. Not today. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm so thankful for that. Oh, come on. You didn't want to go solo? No. You got this. So I want to I tell you a story before. Uh, I haven't told Pastor RJ I'm going to tell this story, but, you know, it was as we were worshiping here, it just, it was reminded because I'm thinking about telling the story about Pastor RJ possibly being raptured. And all of a sudden, this story came to my mind of when I was in seminary in uh, Southern Saskatchewan in the wintertime when it's freezing cold, like minus 30, minus 40-ish, something like that. And I remember I had this friend from California who was studying there, and um, she had never, ever um, seen the uh, Northern Lights. And um, she had been studying in the library, and uh, they they shut down the library. She was one of the last ones there, and she was walking back to her dorm, which was almost clear across town. And as she was walking back, all of a sudden she saw the Northern Lights, which she had never seen before in her life. And she didn't know what that was. And she thought the rapture had happened. And she came running as fast as she could to her dorm room screaming, is anybody here? Is anybody here? To find that everybody was in their rooms getting ready for bed. So anyways.
1: She learned her lesson. Yes. (laughs) That is kind of funny. (laughs) We're gonna be talking about the rapture today. Today's content will be challenging for some of you and revolutionary to others. We're hoping to have a lot of fun with this. As you know, we have purposed as we've gone into this Days of Noah series to kind of take our theological training and background and set it aside and try to look at everything through fresh eyes.
0: You did. I did. No, I did too.
1: I think it's safe to say both Pastor Larry and myself have reconsidered some aspects of the days of Noah through the course of these conversations. And uh, we were only able to do that by throwing out our previous convictions and look at the evidence with fresh eyes. Even within this, there's some concepts that we can conclusively say are not consistent with the scriptures, And there are other areas that are just not so clear. So, for instance, if you remember when we were talking about the preterist view, or the preterist view, um, where all the book of Revelation historically fulfilled, right? We we believe that's false. It hasn't been fulfilled already historically. There's too many problems with that view theologically. So, there's some things that are very easy for us to say, yeah, no, in the scriptures. Because it just doesn't line up. Let's start with this. Let's define some of our terms for today's conversation. The word rapture, how many of you know it's not even in the Bible?
0: That's right. Wait, what? <laughs> Essentially, you go ahead. Yeah, so to understand the term rapture, um, what is it? Because it's not in scripture. You don't find the word as Pastor RJ says, and so we have to take a look at some of the scriptures. and. Um, Uh, I'm just gonna reference a few of them and and I'll read one of them in particular. But Matthew 24 verses 30 and 31 talks about that you see the son of man coming on the clouds and sending angels to gather chosen ones. Daniel 12 verses one and two references the concept of, of being raised up. Luke 21 verse 25 to 28 references the idea that you will see a son of man coming in a cloud with power And great glory. And when you see these things, look up because your redemption is near. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 to 53, says, The dead in Christ will rise up first, and then those alive will be transformed. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 to 18, talk about um, how the dead in Christ will rise first, and then the rest will be caught up in the clouds. But Mark 13, verse 24 to 27, I want to read this one in particular. Mark 13, verse 24 to 27. It says, at that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. When we read that, we get this obvious understanding, this picture of, of God or Jesus coming down in the same way that he went up in the clouds. So he comes down in the clouds and he sends out his angels to gather the elect.
1: Did you put that one in because of next week's lesson on the cosmic disturbances?
0: <clears throat> no comment.
1: When we look at the word tribulation, what is God's purpose for tribulation?
0: Oh, that's a good question. <clears throat> we, we debate about tribulation, great tribulation a lot, Pastor RJ and I.
1: We've been having some good conversations.
0: <laughs> when we take a look at tribulation, um, the, the purpose of tribulation, and we could go through so many scriptures in the New Testament particularly, but there's one that comes to mind um, in James, I think it is the James one that talks about the purpose of trials. It's for the maturing of the saints, right? And and yeah, and and tribulation is something that we need to approach with joy. I hear somebody commenting about that, and um, and so tribulation is is just a state uh, of being where we are in tribulation, and the church. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, there will be tribulation. And so, you know, we ask the question, is tribulation intended for the church or for the unbeliever?
1: I'm gonna go with the church.
0: You're gonna go with the church? Yeah. I, I think that's a good answer. <laughs> we agree on that. <laughs> yeah, we do.
1: Um, here's where we have lots of conversation. Is tribulation um, identified by a specific time, or is there always tribulation for the believer?
0: I, we don't disagree maybe, with this one. Maybe it's both. I yeah. You know what? I think possibly, <laughs> but you know, according to the way I understand Scripture, yes. tribulation is always there in the life of the believer. Yeah. You know, um, has you anybody been tribulation. without tribulation at some point in time in your life? Anybody? I don't, I don't see any hands, Pastor RJ. Yeah, not too many.
1: Everybody has tribulation in the church? Wait, I didn't sign up for this, preacher.
0: <laughs> I didn't either. But you know what? Tribulation, I think, is something that, you know, that we can easily agree with, that it is a part of the Christian life.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: We're all going to face trials. But what about the great tribulation?
1: Yeah, now that's another conversation. The Great Tribulation seems to identify a very specific period of time. We're not as far off as we pretend we are. Well, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> um, here's, the, here's the crux of the matter. When the Bible references Great Tribulation, it's, it's found primarily in three places, uh, Zephaniah 1:14 to 17, Daniel 12, 1, and Matthew 24, 21. That term Great Tribulation is used or translated. Uh, It seems that um, in Zephaniah, it's talking about the day of the Lord, uh, and it kind of references that the current state of tribulation is the day of the Lord is near. In Daniel 12, you see the conversation with Michael the archangel standing guard over the nation. I I believe that's Israel. And there's a time of great anguish, right? And then in Matthew 24, in Jesus' words, we see this. So the question we have to ask ourselves is... Is the great tribulation referenced in these verses something different than the word tribulation that's referenced in many other places? Now, let me, let me take a step back and, and have some fun with this. I could say I'm having a bad day. I could also say I'm having a very bad day. Is there much difference in what I'm trying to communicate to you? Some say yes, some say no. Well, that Pastor would depend. Larry, what do you
0: think? Well, that would depend, Pastor RJ, if that very bad day is an isolated situation where it was worse than any other time prior and any other time coming.
1: Aha. So we would conclude from that, that this great tribulation period would be something that is a little bit greater than the normal tribulation that you go through. Yeah. Agreed. But wait, there's more. Let's go to the day of the Lord.
0: Often, when the phrase "the day of the Lord" or "the day of the Lord's wrath" is referenced in Scripture, um, you know there's there's many references that are very distinct. One is that the day of the Lord is the day of His coming, um, the day of the day of redemption, or um, the day or that millennial reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, is in some cases because of the reference in uh, Peter, 2 Peter, where it says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. I've heard some theologians actually say, well, that means when the Bible references the day of the Lord, that that's actually that thousand year reign or millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, others think that the day of the Lord is the initiation of his rapture. and um, And so we get verses like Isaiah 13, verses 6 to 9, um, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, which, you know, they reference the concept of um, we are not destined to the wrath of the Lord and things like that. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10 says Jesus saves from the coming wrath. Um, But the one I want to really focus on in regards to the day of the Lord is 2 Peter 3, verse 10 where it says but the day of the lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief right so so do you know when a thief comes no. then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything in it will be found to deserve judgment and and so i mean this is this is the way I interpret this passage particularly, is, "The day of the Lord is the initiation of a great and terrible day, a time, a great and terrible period of judgment and wrath on the earth."
1: So all that said, foundationally, There is many different perspectives, of which we're going to try to show you three or four of them in the next little while. Um, Everything that we see is based primarily on Daniel's 70th week that sets a foundation for this seven-year timeline by which all the events that we see in the book of Revelation and some of the minor prophets in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 have to fit into.
0: 75 days.
1: Yeah, I have it in there. (laughs) There is the 75 days, but sure. So seven years plus 75 days. But basically, what we want to try to do is go through some of the different views, um, just so you have an understanding of what people think. Uh, there's one view that we just can't see biblically, and uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes. But anyway, and some of you will love us for that, but that's okay. So let's start with pre-trib. We Can slide. you put up the
0: pre-tribulational slide? There you go. And so, when you take a look at the slide, this is, now understand, we've portrayed a view based on pre-tribulational rapture, and within each of the primary rapture or concepts or, or theologies, there's many, many, many different views. But this is one of the most common, where the rapture happens in the very beginning of Daniel's 70th week, And Daniel's 70th week also is initiated by a peace treaty made by the Antichrist, a peace treaty of seven years with the Israeli nation. Um, But the rapture happens before any of that happens. And so for the first, um, you have the seals, and then you have the trumpets. And during the trumpets, the peace treaty with Israel is broken, and the Antichrist raises himself, or he reveals himself as the Antichrist, or as God in the temple, uh, then you follow the trumpets with the bulls, and the second coming happens at the end of Daniel's 70th week. But when we take a look at the rapture, or the pre-tribulational rapture idea, it's based on an understanding of an imminent return of Jesus Christ, that it could happen at any moment,
1: like, did Pastor RJ get raptured when he didn't show up in the front row? Well, that's
0: what I was just beginning to wonder here because you weren't joining me in the front there.
1: But that means you got left.
0: <laughs> well, that's what I was afraid of. That's why I was extremely concerned.
1: But doesn't it tell us that we have an assurance of our salvation in First John and we don't have to be afraid?
0: That's right. That's why I don't agree with the pre-tribulational rapture concept. <laughs> Amongst other things, but Pastor RJ, another belief is based on Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and it says, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So the belief is that the he, which is removed, giving way to the Antichrist, is the church. So that,
1: how about I tell a story? Sure. I think I've shared portions of this. When I was down in Dallas going to Bible school, I remember um, Hilton Sutton actually came in. He was teaching on the stage on end times and eschatology and he taught for for five days or four days, and then on the fifth day, he opened it up for questions. And I remember I put my hand up because I had a question for him about this specifically, this verse. And I asked him this simple question. I said, sir, can you show me another place in the scripture, especially the New Testament where you see the church referred to in the masculine? And he rattled off Ephesians three, he shall be our peace. Well, he's talking about Jesus, the head of the church but he wasn't referencing the church, which is always referred to in the feminine. So I have a huge challenge when we're using this verse as a proof text for the church to disappear, but the church is referred to in the feminine. So it can't be the church that they're talking about there. That's right. Don't ask me who I think it is. I know. (laughs) We've had some fun conversations about this.
0: (laughs) Biblically, the most logical answer is it's Michael the Archangel. Um, but yes, we've had interesting conversations about <laughs> other options. You know, um, again, going back to seminary, I was taught a pre-tribulational rapture, and that's the only option. Um, I wasn't taught any other option. And, uh, and so a lot of the materials and the books that we had to read, um, you know, they all focused on those realities. And so when I get into my first pastorate, Um, there was a new Christian who was reading and and really diving into the word of God. And um, they were asking me questions about the rapture and the timing of the rapture. And so I started spouting off um, some of the primary theologians like Ryrie and Walvert and so on and so forth. Does does any of you know who they are? Okay, one person. Well, she didn't know who they were either. And she says, yeah, that's really nice. I don't know who they are. But what does the Bible say? Yeah. And you know what? I was tongue-tied, and I'm like, Lord, what do I do? I've got to come with an answer, and it dog, it, it, it caused me to dig into the Word. But anyways, I did mention Walverd, John Walverd, in his book, The Rapture Question, which is one of the books that I had to read. States it is therefore not too much to say that the Rapture question is determined more by ecclesiology than eschatology. Any answer to the rapture question must therefore be based upon a careful study of the church as it is revealed in the New Testament. So just let me clarify, for those of you who struggle with some of these big words, because I know there's some. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. And so what Walvert is saying, in order to understand the rapture question, you have to understand the theology of the church. Because the theology of end times doesn't give them the answer they're looking for. Anyways, I could keep going on that one, I'll stop.
1: Revelation 1-7, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. That that challenges a few things because there's an assumption with this view, pre-trib, which clearly we're kind of shying away from, but uh, there's an assumption that it can happen at any moment and only those that are in on it are going to know when it happens. But this Revelation 1-7 says, all the nations of the world, everyone's going to see him. They're going to see him coming. They're going to see the sign of his coming.
0: Revelation 6 also identifies the reality that everybody will know they see it.
1: There's, there's a few places. Yeah. So it's not going to be some secret thing that happens for only the church. It's going to be something that when he comes again, everybody's going to know he's coming, and some of them aren't going to be very happy about that. So the next view we want to talk about is the mid-tribulation view. Um, foundationally, you see this in Daniel 7. Uh, I'll start in verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times in the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So we need to have that second slide. slide.
0: Did we get it? Can you explain it? You explain it. So the belief is that the first three and a half years is represented by what this passage is talking about, is um, he will speak words against the Most High and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High and he shall think to change the times and the law. So the Antichrist comes into the scene endeavoring to change everything. And um, so that the first three and a half years is a tribulational period, yes, but the last three and a half years is the Great Tribulation and that's described by Matthew 24, where it says, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now and never will be. So the idea is that we're not destined for great tribulation, but we're destined for tribulation. And so the mid-tribulational rapturists believe that, yeah, the rapture will happen in the middle before the Antichrist comes and reveals himself and um, the bad stuff really happens. This is actually the least favored of of the four views that we're gonna be talking about. Can we just
1: place that second slide back up again, the mid-tribulational view? So according to the mid-trib view, when the peace treaty is broken is the time of the rapture, and then the trumpets, the bulls, and the second coming. Well, I like the concept that we were not destined for wrath, and I think there's lots of scriptures that talk about that we, the church, are not destined for his wrath, um, there's a lot of maneuvering with the timeline there to make that work, uh, at any rate. Which leads us to uh, the third view we want to talk about, which is the post-tribulation view. Now, there's many variations of this view, ranging from um, a rapture and then a second coming later to the second coming and the rapture, of the same event. Yep. There, There's many different variations of this. The key verses are found in Matthew 24. If you were to read verses 29 to 40, it talks about this, or 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 4. We read some of those earlier. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, it suggests the last trumpet. You know, is that the last trumpet that's listed in Revelation? We could have some conversation about trumpets right now. I know you study trumpets quite a bit with Israel. There's a lot of trumpets.
0: Trumpets were really significant, you know, in the Israeli history. You know, I had somebody text me actually and asking me specifically about the last trump. And, uh, and basically, I, I, I just, I didn't give them the answer, I just sent a text back and I says, spend some time and study the relevance of the trumpets to the Israeli nation. Um, because as far as their, their, their faith, their, you know, the, the temple service and, and everything, and, and even as a nation in general, the trumpet was very, very important. And so, you know, there's many trumpets in Israeli culture. Yes,
1: and we'll put up that third slide now with the post-tribulation view. And when we look at this slide, you know, you've got the peace treaty, the seals, the peace treaty's broken, the trumpets and the bulls, and then the rapture happens. Then there's the 30 days and the 45 days. You know, um, so clearly it seems that the rapture is after this period of great tribulation that's, that's on the earth where the Antichrist is released to um, attack the saints and, and conquer them for a season. So that would, that would sum up kind of the, the third view, the post-tribulation, which leads us to the pre-wrath view.
0: That In the pre-wrath view, there's a distinction between God's wrath and the wrath of Satan. Um, where the great tribulation or the tribulation period in general is not the wrath of God. It is Satan's wrath against the followers of Jesus Christ.
1: So does Satan war against his own?
0: No. What's the point? He would be defeating himself. So, Doesn't,
1: doesn't Jesus even talk about a house divided, can't stand? Cannot
0: stand. Satan can't drive out Satan. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12, verses 12 and 17. It says, Therefore Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, who is Israel, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commands of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So, in regards to that passage, I've often had people argue with me that that is exclusively talking about the people of Israel. But how many people of Israel actually follow Jesus? They're waiting for their Messiah. And so who is he waging war against? We are adopted heirs right. into the household of Abraham, right? And here's another key passage in the pre-wrath rapture concept. Matthew 24, verses 21 to 22. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not had, since has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days, which days? Is it not referring to the days of great tribulation? If those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days, which days? The great tribulation will be cut short. And I mean, so obviously you, you can kind of tell... Pastor RJ's just sitting there smiling at me because he knows where my inclinations lie. Um, But we're gonna go and smash all that in a minute here. But you know, Revelation clearly says in Revelation 12, Revelation 13, it gives the idea that the time of the Antichrist to pursue the church is a time times and half a time, 42 months, three and a half years. And so, um, but the pre-wrath concept is, yes, it was ordained for that period of time But Jesus declared, it will be shortened.
1: So now's the point where you have to listen very carefully. Yes. Otherwise, you're going to lose us in the transition. And we don't want to lose you. Everything that we've just presented to you with the four views is hinged upon Mm -hmm. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Everything. Everything in the pre- The mid, the post, the pre-wrath, the timelines are all linked to Daniel chapter nine. Let's read it. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people in the holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt and to bring everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand, seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes, Jerusalem will be rebuilt in streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. So, so I don't lose everyone. There's a 490-year period of time that's being prophesied about here from the time that they are um, commanded to rebuild the temple to the time that the anointed one or Jesus comes. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed Appearing to have accomplished nothing and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and a war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven but after half this time he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings and as a climax to all his terrible deeds he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out upon him. So, foundationally as we go into this i want you to understand there's some gaps or some problems with all four views um, especially when you try to link them to a seven-year period of time that we refer to as the great tribulation so we want to suggest something to all of you today i see nowhere in scripture um, where prophetically when god gives a timeline there's a gap between the first 483 years in the last seven years, okay? So it makes no sense that God would fulfill 483 years of it with Christ showing up on the scene, and then all of a sudden, here we are, what, 2,400 and something years later, 2,500 years later. Oh, now the 17th now the, the week is gonna happen? Um, it just, it doesn't make sense um, that it wouldn't have been fulfilled sequentially, which means, <laughs> want me to go there or are you going to go there? Keep going. Okay. I think it's really important that we understand that this rapture event or the second coming of Christ, we need to link it to an event that the scriptures talk about, the events the scriptures talk about, not timelines. And And I, I don't want to confuse you with that, but I think what happens is when we try to fit everything into timelines, we create problems for ourselves because there's evidence where we can shoot holes in all of the four theories that I just gave you, and there's a million variations to try to correct that, but you're stretching, you're stretching things or making assumptions at best um, to make it work. So if we unhinge our eschatology from Daniel 9, you with me? In that Daniel 9 was fulfilled sequentially 490 years Halfway through, Christ was crucified. He stopped the sacrifice. That generation, Titus, came in later and destroyed the temple. Um, so that portion of Daniel 9, it seems that that already happened. And there's some that would take this and say, well, Matthew 24 talks about that. Luke 21 talks about that. It could. There could be something in the future there because we know that the book of Revelation hasn't all come to pass yet.
0: Can I just comment on that real yeah, quick? Yeah, help me clarify <laughs> that. In Matthew 24, and this was always my biggest issue, is without really digging in deeper, I made the assumption that in Matthew 24, when Jesus references what the prophet Daniel was talking about, uh, the abomination of desolation, I just commonly understood, well, Daniel 9 talks about the abomination of desolation.
1: Because that's what you were taught.
0: Because that's what I was taught. So, and... um, but actually, when you go into the original Hebrew and Greek understanding of the words, it's interesting that even in Scripture, the reference that's given is not Daniel 9. It's actually Daniel 12.
1: Or 11, maybe.
0: What's that? I'll take 11 too. 11 and 12. Um, so, But anyways, and so it's very easy to, to come to this understanding that, well, maybe Daniel 9 is talking about an event that is a singular event, while well, not singular in the sense of but a time frame hovering around the first coming of Jesus Christ and not the second. Mm
1: -hmm. If that's true, you have to unhinge your seven-year timeline for the great tribulation, which opens up a whole realm of possibilities.
0: So let's take a look at some of these events that we need to be watching for.
1: That's a good idea.
0: In Matthew 24, the disciples are asking Jesus for the sign. They're asking for a specific sign to his coming. And, and what was Jesus' response?
1: And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens and there will be deep mourning among all peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the cl- on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven.
0: But what if... What if somebody comes and says, there's a man performing great miracles over here. It must be Jesus. Doesn't he
1: say to watch out because false Christs are gonna come?
0: But the miracles, they're just like Jesus.
1: Yeah, there's all kinds of
0: fake miracles. It is so important that we know. Demonic signs. Yeah, yeah. Even to deceive the elect, the word of God says.
1: We're coming into an age right now where if you're not tapped into what the Holy Spirit's saying to you, you'll be very easily misled. Because trying to discern truth from error is probably the greatest challenge of this generation right now. In 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five to 55, the scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we, now are, just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. This is what we're trying to get to. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. and We who are living will also be transformed for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die and our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? And O death, where is your sting? Do you see one of the signs in here? The trumpet. Yes. There's a transformation that takes place when the trumpet. You get a new
0: body. We don't need to tie that trumpet to the trumpet judgments of Revelation. Trumpets always happen. But this trumpet will announce the coming of Jesus Christ.
1: How about 1 Thessalonians 4?
0: How about we jump ahead to actually 2 Thessalonians 2. Okay. Are we yeah. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 to 4, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them even if they claim to have had a spiritual revelation or vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day, what day, will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. So what is, what is the event that we're seeing there? There's two of them, actually. There's a
1: couple of them. There's a great rebellion against God. There's a man of lawlessness revealed.
0: A great rebellion. Can you expand on that just briefly?
1: No, because we're going to do a whole lesson on some of the great rebellion in a few weeks. <laughs> And I enough. don't want to get sidetracked.
0: <laughs> All right. But I want to go there. That's fine. <laughs> so there's a great rebellion, but there's the man of lawlessness that reveals himself in the temple of God. Um, so that means the temple has to be rebuilt.
1: I just... <laughs> there's a huge assault through the antichrist spirit on the earth against the image of God. Yep. And, and we're going to get to that in a few weeks. But preparation is really important. You know, uh, my wife and uh, James, last week, they spoke about the 10 virgins and the importance of being prepared, being ready, having oil in your lamp, being mm-hmm. in the faith, being prepared to meet the bridegroom when he comes. And, uh, wow, for time, we probably should jump down to the last one.
0: Oh, but I like this
1: one. Okay. Well, we'll do this one as the last one. Go ahead. Matthew
0: 24, the last
1: one? Well, which one do you want to do? 1 Thessalonians or Matthew 24?
0: Well, they're all really good. I know. But we can only do one of the two, so you pick. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 5. We're having fun. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 8. Now concerning how and when this will all happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. It means they kind of had it figured out, I think. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. But this is the, this is the great part. But you... He's talking, about, he's, he's talking to the Christians here. He's talking to the church. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief because you'll be expecting it. You'll be waiting. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, wearing our helmet with the confidence of our salvation. Okay, I read it, now you can explain it.
1: There's darkness all around us, but we have to stay on guard. We have to keep our armor on, we have to stay in love. We have to remember that we're in faith, we're in salvation and we have to have our confidence in that. But we have to be looking at the signs, you know, hey look, peace, safety, peace, safety. When you start hearing that, that should raise some flags for you. Wait, something's coming.
0: The declaration of peace and safety may not actually be peace and safety, but an understanding of peace and safety.
1: It's for your safety, I promise. Listen, uh, next week, we're gonna talk about the seals. (laughs) We're gonna talk about the four horsemen of Revelation. We're gonna talk about maybe a potential thing to look for that's really important for the timeline for this event that we call the rapture or refer to as the rapture. Um, It seems that it's gonna be sometime after the sixth seal Maybe immediately up to, depending on how you want to view it, um, up to the seventh trumpet, which we're going to talk about the week after. Uh, But we do do want to talk about the seals next week and included in that is the four horsemen. But keep in mind, if you unhinge it from a seven-year timeline of the Great Tribulation, it's possible that three of the horsemen are already in the earth today, possibly the fourth. The seals could already be happening and we wouldn't even know it. And I think one of the things that's really important for us as a church to understand is we need to be ready. We need to be awake. We need to be alert. And I feel like uh, for some reason in the Canadian church, there's been so much apathy towards the things of God. And God's people are sleeping when they should be getting their armor on and going to war every day. And uh, I've said it probably 40 times, but like you need to be praying like you've never prayed before. And if you're not, you're remiss. You're not doing what you should be doing. This is the time to be getting ready. This is the time to be prepared. We need to have the oil in our lamp.